Welcome to the Steady Anchor Podcast. We are a Christian, creedal, and confessional podcast highlighting theology and practice in the local church. We are part of the Doctrinal Discipleship Ministry and members of the Society of Reform Podcasters. I'm Luke, and welcome to the show. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill like the dew like gentle rain upon tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 4. Welcome back to the Steady Anchor Podcast. I am Luke, your host, and this is episode 91 on faithfulness, the fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of hard to believe that we've gotten all the way up to this episode, nearing close to 100. We'll see if we make it there soon. We've been going through the fruit of the Spirit in these last couple episodes, so if you are new to the show, as I've noticed, we have a couple new listeners from the statistics, it seems. I'd urge you to go back and listen to previous episodes so that you see how we're flowing and working through this series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. I do uh, see an influx of new listeners from a couple different places around the world. Sometimes it just looks like normal, you know, uh, listenership, very uh, average, you know, it's a lot of other native English speakers and stuff like that. But it's always very encouraging and exciting to see different places in the world that are listening into the show. For instance, since my last episode, we've seen, I've seen an influx of listeners from Buenos Aires, Argentina. So if you were one of those, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you listening today. Welcome also to the new member podcasts in the Society of Reform Podcasters. Um, it is a group that th- I have been a part of as the Steady Anchor podcast for, I think, almost a year now. Um, I've been talking with Tony and have learned a lot from him who started this organization, this group, uh, maybe this podcasting collective for a while now. And I've really loved cooperating with and being able to share, kind of cross-pollinate with some of these other amazing shows. So we have a couple new ones um, since my last episode, like the Fox Den, Small Town Theologian, and Grace and Peace Radio. These are three new shows that I've slowly started working through their catalog recently and enjoying what I hear. So if you haven't heard any of the other shows from the Society for Form Podcasters, you can find the mega feed on, it should be wherever you listen to podcasts, Um, but if not, you can also just go to reformpodcasts.com to see the whole list. So as we're going through, um, just quick life update. Things are going well for me. I'm still not at a ton of publishing episodes, not at the volume that I used to. I mean, during the COVID lockdown, I had not much else to do. So I was making like two episodes a week. But now in the midst of seminary studies with a full load program with a wife and church commitments, things are just a little too busy to do it that regularly. Um, but classes are going well. I've started my uh, second semester at Mid-America Reformed Seminary in Dyer, Indiana, with a couple of friends. I'm actually there with Caleb Castro, who's also a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. He's uh, one of the hosts of the Bobcast. So check them out. Um, it's a great program, and I love the people that I'm working with. Um, 
doing uh, classes like public worship with Dr. Glenn Clary, um, applied homiletics with Dr. Eric Watkins, Doctrine of God with Dr. Mark Beach, uh, a lot of brilliant guys with great pastoral hearts. So I'm also starting elder training at my local church. I'm a member of 1-7 Church. It's a Southern Baptist congregation, but Reformed and leading. I'm personally a confessional Reformed Baptist or particular Baptist, for those of you who really uh, know much about the terminology debate. Um, and so I'm in a church that's in the midst of you know, settling on issues like that and working through stuff. But I love my people. I love those that I have covenanted with in my local church. I love being able to serve there and hopefully being commissioned as a church planter by the time that I graduate from seminary. So that's the current plan. Going back to a show, we have been working through these fruits of the Spirit, as they're commonly called, from Galatians chapter 5, Paul's letter to the Galatians. So far, we have worked through the context and um, the basis for our study and the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. The way that we're doing this is going through in a word study format, trying to be sensitive to different lexical um, regularities, different rules of proper interpretation, not trying to illegitimately kind of smooth over the distinctives of language. Um, It's easy in doing word studies sometimes to do what is called an illegitimate totality transfer. Um, where you just kind of slop all of the possible meanings and cram them into any possible context in an illegitimate way. So what we're trying to do here is as we study the words as they are found throughout the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments, then we're looking for the ways in which these words are used in their context, how they are Uh, understood, how they are exampled, how they are applied, how that reflects the character of God, and especially in the person of Christ, our incarnate Lord, and in uh, how we are to live as those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, that the third person of the Trinity now lives within us and empowers us as those who believe, and who is continually changing us and conforming us into the likeness of Christ. And that process of sanctification, that process of growing in holiness, also means producing the fruit of holiness, that the Spirit is working in us these fruits, these attitudes and actions that reflect the character of God. These fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we're on the fruit of faithfulness. And again, I say this every episode because I want it to be very clear that this is meant to be an exercise in studying the grace of God, not the burden of the law. This is not meant to be a legalistic thing where I uh, just find all these verses and then try and beat you, the listener, down with it and kind of rub your nose in it. Like, why aren't you doing these better? Why aren't you loving more or being more gracious or faithful or patient? As if we can just strong arm our way into sanctification as if it's just a matter of exerting all your willpower. But in truth, that is not the purpose of this study, and I don't think that's the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage is not to burden us with the weight of our own insufficiencies, but rather to show us what the Spirit of God is doing within us. The aim of this series 
is to press into the means of grace, specifically in the word of God, to see how these attributes, how these fruits and characteristics are exemplified for us so that we would have a greater heart and affection for Christ, for his character, for his goodness, and then out of gratitude for what he has done on our behalf, then we should, li- then we should uh, seek to live in light of that. So again, it's meant to be grace, not law. And so as we begin today, we study the topic of faithfulness. The Greek word that Paul uses here in Galatians chapter 5 is pistis, which means a, it's translated most often as faith or faithfulness. There are different nuances. Um, and it is complex. It's uh, most often used just as the general concept of faith. And so it's very essential to our Christian doctrines, on especially the debate over do, uh, the doctrine of justification by faith how that was the primary concern among the early church. It was, a, it was central to the controversy of the Protestant Reformation, and yet still today there are many, especially in the new perspective on Paul and other almost, I would say, revisionist interpretations that are changing how we would understand faith and faithfulness in the scriptures. But we're looking here more specifically as that attribute which is exemplified by the possession of faith, Namely, it is personal trustworthiness, it is confidence, and it is fidelity that a person who is faithful, who exhibits faithfulness, is one who is faithful, trustworthy. You can have confidence in that they will live up to the expectations that are set upon them. Then in personal relationships, a person who exhibits faithfulness is one who is reliable, who is trustworthy, who is not going to spill your secrets or betray you, who is not going to let you down, who is not going to abandon you as a friend. But even um, in the midst of our own insufficiencies, the one who is faithful to us is one who is faithful through thick and thin. And so that points us to the character of God in Christ, of our triune God and the way that he is faithful towards us, that our God has covenanted with us. Uh, The theme of covenant is essential, I think, to understanding the whole big picture of Scripture because it really summarizes the way in which God relates to us as his creatures. That in covenant, he is a covenant-keeping God. He is one who, even when we fail and fall short, he still does not abandon us nor forsake us. That he is faithful. He exhibits faithfulness. And in Christ, the one who was faithful as a servant to the Father unto death, so that we may be saved by our union with him, so that we are as as we are united to Christ by faith, as those who have been given new hearts and new spiritual life by the Spirit, as we are united to Christ by faith, that we receive the benefits of his faithfulness. Because none of us are perfectly faithful. That is part of this war that Paul is discussing in Galatians chapter 5 between the flesh and the spirit. And flesh does not refer to our physical bodies as if matter was inherently evil, as some of the Gnostics and the ancient Greek philosophers supposed. But rather, it is the sinful nature that has affected and twisted our bodies on our natures, our humanity, so that the image of God still remains within us, but it has been marred, it has been cracked, so that we do not perfectly reflect the character of God as we were made to. So, faithfulness. It also has a Old Testament counterpart in Hebrew, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a word that has a broader semantic range, the word chesed. 
um, which talks about covenant faithfulness. It's translated sometimes as loving kindness. It's a word that has, uh, again, a, a broad use um, and lots of different connotations, too much for us to get into the nitty gritty of today. It's a word that's almost hard to describe or translate because of its variety and its depth and its context. So here we're also going to go through the scriptures, picking out relevant verses that deal with the topic of faithfulness. Um, these will all be read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is my go-to version of Bible translations. There are other valid ones like the New American Standard Bible. Um, there's a new edition of that, I believe, called the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, the there's a number of, of decent ones. There's also, for instance, the Christian Standard Bible, which is a bit more dynamic that I appreciate. Um, there's, I mean, there's the old-fashioned NIV, the NIV 84, which had some good merits, but not perfect translations. I don't think it's a little looser than I would have been. Um, I'm not a, an expert scholar in translations. I'm only a few years into studying Greek and Hebrew, but um, just different translation ideas and, and policies and practices and stuff like that. Just so long as you don't use a, a terrible paraphrase, like I, it's kind of a cliche to just uh, dump on the message Bible, but it is not a Bible. It is a paraphrase. And in many ways, it's not a very good one. So just be careful and especially never use that passion translation. It's just a terrible aberration. It's no translation at all. And that's, that's too much of a discourse to get on right now. So off the tangent, back to the passages. Here we have a list of verses that we're, I'm going to read through and comment upon um, and hopefully elucidate some of the ways that faithfulness is understood throughout the scriptures. And again, going through these different passages throughout the Bible, there are specific intentions and context for each of these verses. I will try to be faithful to those contexts and the intention of the author and the spirit inspiring these verses as we go along. But it's worth contemplating and going back and, um, and studying these uh, verses in particular in their whole context individually. So we'll begin going through from Genesis to Revelation canonically and pulling out those uh, various verses in order. The first one that I found was from Genesis chapter 24, verse 27, where I believe this is the servant of Abraham as he's looking for a wife for Abraham's daughter, uh, sorry, for Abraham's son, Isaac. So he goes and he finds uh, a woman who is a suitable wife for his master, and he exclaims, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And that's where he had found the suitable wife for his master's son. Also in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. This is one that we've repeated a number of times throughout the series because it is so central and so encompassing about the character of God, a way in which God defines himself in the scriptures. So again, Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. 
In Joshua chapter 24, one of Joshua's last appeals to the nation of Israel before he passed away, Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then a variety of psalms pick up on this theme. Psalm 25, verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalm 26, 3, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Psalm 36, 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 40, verses 10 through 11, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. Psalm 86, verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And one last section from the Psalms. This is the entirety of Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And then here, I think, is a very significant one from Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is in the midst of Jeremiah the prophet's lament over the fall of Jerusalem where he had seen thousands of his kinsmen slain as God's punishment for their wickedness, the destruction of God's city as the consequence of God's people's sin. And in the midst of this lament, which goes on for several chapters, in the midst of that, he still cries out the steadfast love of the Lord, his mercy, his faithfulness. They never cease. They are always new and abounding for us who believe in him, even in the midst of the worst of tragedies. Moving into the New Testament, we see in Matthew 23, 23, this is an instance where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees who were, um, if you don't know much about the context behind the New Testament and the first century world, there's a lot to say about the Pharisees. We see them a lot in the gospel accounts. Primarily, we know that they were a group of, we would say conservative religious Jews in Jesus's day. They 
arose in the centuries before uh, the times of the New Testament and the times of Christ as those who kind of sought to expand the law and apply the law of Moses, especially the laws which applied to the things of the temple and the priesthood, and apply that to all of the Jews and all of life. So that, you know, if the priests had to maintain a certain standard of holiness, then why shouldn't everybody maintain that standard? Um, if the the things of the temple must be cleaned in a certain way, then it would it surely would please God more if we cleaned everything in those ways. They were a people who sought to please God by expanding what God had said. They had a collection of traditions, which they called the traditions of the elders or the traditions of the fathers, the customs of those who went before them. This is kind of the beginnings of what would become rabbinic Judaism. So they had all these these customs, they had all these traditions, they believed in the scriptures, they believed in the supernatural, they believed in the resurrection, but they also had all of these excess traditions that they had added on to what God had spoken. And a number of them had become so corrupt and hypocritical that they were neglecting and negating what God had actually said for the sake of their own convenience and for the sake of their traditions. So Jesus corrects them and rebukes them in Matthew 23. And in verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he rebukes them because they are so meticulous that they tithe not only their income, but of their crops and their livestock, even the, the spices that they bring into their home. They're putting little pinches of mint and cumin into their offering plate, so to speak. And yet they're neglecting the central matters of God's law, matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. We see also in Romans 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes this, then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their, un does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And so Paul here is explaining upon his doctrine of sin. He is convicting those who are self-righteous in their own selves, uh, who think that they have upheld the law, who think that they are, are they're sufficient just because they're Jews. He spent the last chapter and a half talking about the sins of the Gentiles and the sinfulness of the peoples. But those who are listening to them might be prone to be puffed up and say, yeah, we're, we have the law, we have circumcision, we have Moses. And yet they don't realize that they also have been unfaithful, despite the fact that the Jews of Jesus' day and of Paul's day, had they knew the law and what God required of them, still each of them fell short. Their unfaithfulness resulted in many of them being cut off. They Not only did they not obey the things of God, none of us could, but Christ offered them forgiveness and salvation through faith in him, but they rejected him, or at least so many of them did. And so Paul asks this question in the midst of this longer argument, does the unfaithfulness of men nullify the faithfulness of God? And he says, absolutely not, by no means. Let God be true that everyone would be a liar. So Paul's argument is that just because God's people have been unfaithful, it doesn't mean that God will be unfaithful. 
despite the failings and the fallings of those who God had covenanted with, he is still a faithful and covenant-keeping God. Now, that is the whole interplay between um, the Jewish uh, ethnicity, the Jewish nation, the Jewish peoples, uh, the covenant that God has with them. That's a bigger discussion than we have for today. I am a covenantalist. We've already hinted at that. That's the way that I interpret scripture. Um, but I think that this is still an important thing to dwell on, that the unfaithfulness of the people does not negate the faithfulness of God. And that is an encouragement to us, no matter what situation that we are in, especially for us that are believers, those in the new covenant with Christ, that despite our faithlessness, Christ was faithful on our behalf. That for all the elect of all the ages, those who have been united to Christ through faith, even for those of the old covenant who believed in the types and the shadows, or us in the new covenant in the fulfillment who see him and believe in him for who he is, who he has been revealed to us as. It is by faith that our faithfulness does not, does not end in our condemnation, but God is still faithful to redeem and to save. I hope that makes sense. If, if I'm not clear on any of these matters, feel free to send me a message on social media. You can find our uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter pages, or you can send an email to doctrinaldiscipleship at gmail.com. Whatever the case may be, um, these are all the verses that I had for this section. And so then the question is uh, maybe in distillation of these things. Let us look always at the faithfulness of God that while his people have been unfaithful, that he is slow to anger and patient towards us, that throughout all of redemptive history, he has always been faithful despite the unfaithfulness of his people, and that we who are united to Christ, despite our failings, our shortcomings, our sins, and our rebellions, our lack of faith, still we cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, and he is willing and able to heal us to cleanse us of our unrighteousness, to bring us back into union with him, and that through a lifetime, not in an immediate moment of perfection, but through a lifetime process of sanctification and growing in holiness, that we become more and more conformed to his holiness, that we look more like Christ tomorrow more than yesterday. That is our hope and that is our prayer, and that is our confidence in the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that is so important for us, and it's so encouraging as well to look at the faithfulness of Christ, that he was a faithful servant, that he was a faithful son, and that in him we all are counted as beloved sons and daughters of God. That is beautiful and encouraging news. And so we don't seek to exhibit faithfulness in order to earn our place at God's table, as if he's just waiting for us to screw up so we can cast us off and cut off the dead weight. No, in Christ we are a new creation. In Christ we are counted as righteous. In Christ we are beloved sons and daughters of the King. In Christ we are co-heirs with him of the future heavenly kingdom. These are the things that should bring us the greatest comfort and confidence in the midst of life. And these are the things that should motivate us to live like him, to love like him, to think like him, to be like Christ in every way that we can. So again, not as a burden of law to earn our place at the table, but out of gratitude that we still, and already, while we were still sinners, that Christ had died for us, and that he has given us his spirit to make us more like him. So then, how are we to be faithful? 
How can we exhibit faithfulness as servants, as servants of God, as members of our local churches? What does it look like for us to be faithful as uh, those who serve in the local congregations? How can we be faithful in loving our people that we have covenanted with in the local church? How can we serve our pastors, our elders, our deacons well? How can we be good, um, good sheep to shepherd? How can we not make ourselves burdensome to those who are, who are placed over us by God to watch and give account for our souls? How can we exhibit faithfulness in the way that we serve and love others in our church? This is not to put me in a pedestal or like make me the standard, but something that my wife and I have been doing in the last couple months since we moved um, back into the area after getting married, we worked at a summer camp, and we moved back into the city where our church is, 17 Church. And so now that we have our home of ourselves, it's a really nice place. It's bigger than we were expecting, and God has blessed us abundantly. And so we are doing our best to be generous and hospitable with it. And we've been trying to be hospitable by ways of inviting people over from the church. Like just last night, we had a couple that are new to the area who have been attending our church for a few weeks. We haven't really gotten to know them well, but uh, we invited them over so we could get to know them. Hear their stories, hear uh, where they came from, how they came to know and love Christ, how they came to the area, how they met each other. And it was a great time. So that's a, a simple way that we can show uh, faithfulness is by reflecting the generosity and hospitality of Christ in the way we live. Not everyone has circumstances where they can do things like that, but each of us has something which we can use for the benefit of those around us. And it's not about what we can do, again, as if we're trying to earn our place amongst our community, but rather it's the call to be faithful with what God has given to us, to be faithful as servants, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to try and resemble the faithfulness of Christ to our Lord, uh, to be faithful as husbands, as fathers, brothers and sisters, uh, mothers and daughters of all these things, to be faithful as friends, to exhibit faithfulness in our family lives, in our homes, in our work, in every situation that God has placed us in, so that our lives would not be a hindrance to the gospel message that we proclaim. Because the gospel message is something objective. It is something historical. It is good news. We don't do the gospel. We can't perform the gospel. The gospel is what Christ has done on our behalf. But neither do we want to say, okay, it's all Jesus' work, therefore I can do whatever I want. And, you know, it doesn't matter then if I destroy my witness through riotous living, if I live as if the gospel weren't true. No, instead, out of gratitude and in a realization that God is a father to us and he will discipline those whom he loves, and also that as we grow to love him and serve him, we want to please him in the way that we live. And so we want to adorn the gospel by the way that we live. We're not doing the gospel by being obedient to the commands of Christ, but rather we are removing any possible stumbling blocks where people can look at our life and declare us hypocrites and dismiss the message that we're proclaiming to them. So we want to exhibit faithfulness out of gratitude for what Christ has done on our behalf in hopes that it will be a further testimony to others, to those around us, of what God has done for us, of the faithfulness of Christ on our behalf. So I hope that that's an encouragement to you. Um, 
thank you for sticking with me in the midst of these uh, somewhat irregular recording schedules. If you've enjoyed these or benefited from these episodes, please share with a friend. Um, uh, stuff like ratings and reviews on iTunes and other places do help. You can rate us on Spotify now, but mostly the growth that comes is through those mouth-to-mouth, sorry, those uh, person-to-person as maybe a better word for it, um, recommendations, person-to-person, where you just say to a friend, you share uh, the episode with them, or you recommend the show. That's how we grow the most. So, With all that being said, just um, be praying for me as I continue my studies and seek to serve my local church well. I hope that this has been encouragement to you. If you want to leave a comment or ask a question or push back on anything I may have misarticulated here or said something you disagree with, then feel free to reach out and we'll have a conversation. Until next time, love God, love his church, and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll see you around. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Steady Anchor Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Steady Anchor Pod. Or you can subscribe to us wherever podcasts are found. If you're looking for more like-minded content, you can check out the Society of Reform Podcasters at reformpodcasts.com. If you'd like to support this podcast and the website and wherever else we're doing, you can find us on Patreon and give whatever your heart allows. You can also find our website where we post more content, articles, resources, and reviews. That's doctrinaldiscipleship.com. The opening song is Rock of Ages performed by Nathan Drake. Thanks again. We'll see you around.